Welcome to the Arrive Podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. I'm your host, Jeremy Richards, along with fellow U.S. immigration lawyer, Christine Jerusik. Today, we are going to be discussing the naturalization process, or the process by which a person becomes a U.S. citizen if they are not born uh, in the United States or to U.S. citizen parents. If you're not born in the United States or you don't have a U.S. citizen parent, um, you have a green card or permanent residence in the United States and you'd like to take it to the next step, um, you can become a citizen through the process that we call naturalization. It involves filing a form, N-400, which is an application for naturalization. Um, and, you know, you, there's certain things you need to do to qualify for that. You can't just file the form. Uh, you need to have lived in the United States for a certain period of time. You need to be 18 years old. And there's several other factors as well that you need to take into account. But once you're eligible and you file the form, um, you pay the fee, USCIS will process it, and eventually you'll get to your interview um, if you do everything correctly. At the interview, there is a test that's administered. And today we're going to talk about that test and what the interview process looks like. Yeah, so when you break down the test, at least when I do when I'm talking to people, I break it down into four different pieces. There's an English spoken test, there's an English written test, there's a civics, and then there's also a review of your application that you filed that N-400 form. There's a lot of questions on there, a lot of them are crazy questions, um, but they will address all those questions and they'll make sure everything's accurate on your application. But the first thing they typically do, and every officer is a little bit different, um, when you enter into the room with the officer, it's your standard office, there's a, there's a desk, the officer is on one side of the desk, you're on the other. Then they have an iPad, and they've been doing these all electronically now, and a stylus for you to do your examination on. And typically, the officer will go through the test first. Well, and the they first thing they're going to do is, is have swear you, you swear to tell the truth, right? Because a lot of these questions they're asking you are going to be under oath. So that's the first step. And then they'll verify your, your identity with your, with your documentation. So make sure you have your ID with you and have it ready to go. Yeah, that want to see your your current green card, any passports you have to verify any travel you outside of the country, driver's license. So the first part of the examination is typically the English part of the examination, and they will have they will have you read a sentence or a phrase in English, and it'll show up on the iPad in front of you, and they will ask you to read the sentence that appears. For example, George Washington is the first president of the United States. That would be a sentence that would pop up on the screen. And you just have to read that. And it's that simple. It, it doesn't really get any more complicated than that. So with that, they're able to tell if you can read a basic sentence as well as speak basic English. Um, then once you pass that part, then you will move on to the written part. And this can be somewhat cumbersome because <laughs> they make you do it on an iPad. It would be so much easier if it was just on paper with a pencil like most people are used to writing. But And that's... And they used to do it that way, but they make you do it on a style on an iPad with a stylus and or your with your finger. I've had it where the, the stylus isn't working. So they use you use your finger to write it. Never looks good. Anyway, what they're <laughs> trying to do here is test your your English writing ability. And it's nothing complicated. It's just like the spoken part. They will have they that at this point they will tell you a sentence that they want you to write down. So, just as the example Christine gave, they could say, 
please write, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Then you will take your stylus on the iPad and you will write, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. And it must be legible and it, it must also be phonetically correct. So it's not a spelling test, but what you write must sound like the sentence that they asked you to write. When they read it, they must it must be read the way they have spoken it for them to pass you. And for that part, they're going to give you three tries. So if you write it and you and you mess it up, they'll give you another chance to to write another sentence, not the same sentence again. And then you can go through that exercise three times to pass it. Now, when you're doing this, there's some things that that can be a little bit tricky. If they say a number, such as the number six, they expect you to write the number six, S-I-X. They not write the number itself. You have to spell it out. If they say the United States, you can't abbreviate USA or US. You have to write the United States. So there's no abbreviations, um, and you must spell every word out that they ask you to write. That is the written part. Anything else on the written part that you want to add? No. Well, punctuation doesn't matter, so don't worry about that. Just worry And your handwriting about- doesn't either, no. as long as they can read what it says. Correct. So it's not a handwriting test. Um, it's an English written test. That's the English portion. So it's pretty straightforward. In my experience, people that are able to converse in English on a daily basis with people, I have no problem with the English spoken or written. Now, if you struggle understanding English or if you struggle speaking it or writing it, then this part of the exam may be difficult for you and you may not even be able to pass it. I have seen people fail this part of the exam. Um, In particular, I had one client who was actually an English teacher in India um, and she couldn't pass this part of the part of the test. She had difficulty with it just because she had a had difficulty understanding the the American accent on the person who was speaking to her. She learned British English and she had a difficulty with it. So we had to have a second interview, and she got it right the second time around. So that was good. Well, and that's a key point. And I I tell my clients this before we do a interview prep before they go to their naturalization interview, you know, to prepare them what to expect. And I tell them, if you don't understand, ask them to repeat it. So if they say a question and you don't understand 100% what they're asking you, make sure you ask them to repeat it before you give an answer. Because once you've given the answer, you can't take it back. I think think she was, she felt she didn't need to, you know, focus on that part and, and probably didn't prepare for it properly. Um, and didn't and felt confident with it, but maybe a little overconfident as well. So, but that's a key thing to keep in mind for people in general when you're doing this. If you're take if you plan on naturalizing, that if you don't understand what the officer's asking you to say, to write, or to do, you can have them repeat it until you do understand clearly what they're saying. Because most of most of the people that naturalize English may not be their first language, so. It, Ask the officer to say it more slowly or more clearly so that you can understand it and answer the, the question that they're asking properly. Once you pass the English part, then you move on to the civics. And the civics are taken from 100 random questions. And these questions... seem to be 144 random questions because they've just changed that. Um, there's if a it'll ever happen. And, there's a 2008 test and a 2000... 
2020 test. Actually, at, at an interview I had this week, they they offered the client the option to take either one. So, so yeah, you need to be prepared either way. Um, but the, in the end, the questions that they ask you are not trick questions. All of these questions are published. You can study them. You can memorize them ahead of your examination. But they are not multiple choice. So when you're given the test, the civics test, the officer is going to ask you a question and you're going to be expected to verbally say your response back to him. Um, and it's, it's there's not, not going to be an iPad with multiple choice on it. The way you study for it on the USCIS website is a multiple choice test. But that's not the way yeah. it's not the way the test is conducted. Exactly. So during the test, they will just they will ask you verbally what the and you have to respond verbally as well. So a question, for example, is name a state that borders that's on the northern border of the United States. And you'd have to say New York. Right. And there's not there's not an iPad with A, B and C on their options for you. So, yeah, that's and that's where studying can be a little tricky. Right. Because like you said, when you study, it gives you all the options there. Um, but when you actually take the test, it is not multiple choice. You're expected to know one of the answers. Yeah, it's there a, are it's multiple a, answers to a lot of these questions. There's not just one answer, but yes, it's not multiple. Sure. Choice. One, one so of my clients just that. had what name one of the 13 original, in, original colonies yeah, of the United States. And, yeah, yeah. And, and they had 13 options to choose from. Actually, they had to name three of them. So oh. yeah, that was a, that's a more complex question, right? Because you've got to narrow it down and and say three different states. So although there could be multiple answers to each question, it is not multiple choice because it's a verbal examination when you do the civics. So that is something you need to prepare ahead of time for. And again, it's not a, it's not a trick. There are, there are no trick questions. Um, you can go and you can study and you can prepare for that ahead of time and know it's, what yeah, you're it's getting Yeah, it's memorization. Into. So yeah. it's just a matter of spending time with the questions and, and learning them. And... I see people struggle with that too because they don't understand the question that's mm -hmm. being asked. They may be able to read it fine and when they're studying, but they may not understand the officer when they're asking it. So again, in that civics part, it's okay to ask them to repeat themselves. And you don't have to get 100%, right? Um, you only have to get six of them correct. Once you get six out of the 10, then you pass. Uh, and again, with the civics in English, if you fail either of those, you will be given 30 days to go back and try again. So if for some reason you're nervous or you misunderstand a question and, and, and you fail it the first time, it will give you a chance to come back in 30 days to retake either the English or civics parts of the examination. Right. And they may not need to ask you 10 questions. So if you get they six ask in a row, you, right, you're right. Done. If you, they, the first six questions, you get them all right, you're done with the, with the civics test. But if you get one wrong, they'll go on to number seven. If you get two wrong, they'll go on to number eight and so forth until you reach 10. Um, and hopefully you've gotten six right out of those by the time you get there. And I would say in general, most of the officers are, are pretty good with these examinations. Um, you can get some that are sticklers. You can get some that are that are vicious with this exam. Um, and they don't like to repeat themselves. And they expect you to understand when they say it, you know, the first time. So, but most officers aren't like that. I would say there's only one, especially here in Buffalo, <laughs> that does that. The rest of them, they, they, they tend to give you multiple chances and, and really want to help you with the exam. Well, there is, a, there is an expectation that you are not only going to be able to pass the English test, but that you're going to have an understanding 
of their conversation throughout the interview. So yes. even and that though leads you, to the next part, right? Right. So even though you may you may score great on the English test, and I've seen this before too, um, but you have difficulty understanding the remainder of the interview, they can fail you because you haven't properly demonstrated that you understand the English language. Yes, and I saw that happen recently to an individual where he was denied. He passed the English written and spoken and passed the civics. But then when the officer was asking the questions, it was clear to the officer that he did not understand the questions that were being asked. He did not understand, therefore he could not answer. And then for that exact reason, he was denied for failure to understand uh, the English language. But that takes us to the final part, the review of the application. And people, I think this is an afterthought for most, most people when it shouldn't be. The application itself is used to deny people, I think, more, more often or maybe as often as the test itself. I agree. Because they'll go through and they want to verify that all that information is correct and accurate and honest, that everything that's been disclosed on the M4... 100 application is an accurate depiction of who you are in your history. And they, they'll, they'll I mean, you. they'll also compare the responses on your N-400 to your, your previous application. So your green card application, if you had to remove your conditions, visitor visa, your visitor visa, your border interview. And if these things don't all match up and align, there could be a problem with your naturalization. There will be a problem and they probably won't naturalize you. So I just had this happen where we represented an individual. This individual, uh, when we're filling out the N-400, and this was a red flag, um, we were asking, because you have to disclose all previous marriages, all children throughout the world. And um, he didn't really want to disclose those things. And I said, well, you have to. You have to. He's like, well, I'm only married to this woman now. What? Why do I have to talk about the other two? So it's a requirement. You have to list all spouses you've ever had. Well, what about children? I'm like, well, you need to list all children throughout the world. To me, when we're filling it out, I didn't think any, anything of it, right? We're making sure he's filling it out accurately. Well, as, as we went through the actual interview, it came out that he had several interactions in his past with immigration that he did not disclose to us, that he did not make us aware of. And in those interactions, he gave different information in each interaction. So he had a visitor visa where he said that he only had one wife, didn't disclose his previous wife, didn't disclose any of his children. Then he had a green card application where he disclosed the, his, his current wife and a couple of the children, but left off some other oh, children no. and another spouse. Oh, no. And then he also had a... Um, I forget what the, uh, he was questioned by the border as well. And anyway, all, so he, now you have a visitor visa, you have a border uh, application, interview. interview, you have his green card application. Oh, and as well, he also had a, yeah. an application for Canadian citizenship that they also brought in. So he had, it came out five different applications that they were able to draw from. And find all the discrepancies throughout these applications. Now, in the end, that was not the issue. Because he had addressed these issues before when he got his green card. The issue was, is during the N-400 application, it asks you, 
Have you ever given false or misleading information to an immigration officer? He put no. <sighs> he should have put yes. Right. Because he had. The fact that he had done it and getting into a little bit about the naturalization, you have to show during the last five years that you are a person of good moral character. These things that he had done were outside of that window. And they weren't, they didn't rise to the level of a criminal conviction or anything like that that would keep him from naturalizing. But the fact that he just simply didn't disclose it did was cast a, doubt on his was character. was a misrepresentation that led, led them to, to the believe denial that, of his naturalization right, application. He did not have good moral character and they denied him. So now he's got to wait another five years. So all he would have had to done is say, yes, yes, I have. And this is what happened. And he would have been fine. So when you're filling out that application, and this is the reason I bring that example up, is you need to be honest and accurate in the information that you're giving. Uh, they will Absolutely. have a they have they have your history. They know who you are. They've done background checks, and in some cases, there's multiple applications out there. And if you're not consistent, you're going to have a problem in your interview. Uh, criminal history. People often fumble with that too, because I think a common one is I did this in my youth. Right? You hear that a lot. I did this in oh, my I was youth a kid. or yeah. was sealed or I was dumb when I did that. Well, it doesn't matter if you were dumb. It doesn't matter if you were young. It doesn't matter if it was sealed. If it was you and you were convicted or arrested for a crime, you need to answer yes to those questions. And disclose the facts around it. Yeah. And most of the time, again, like this example I gave, if you disclose it and you're honest, unless it's a crime that will prevent you from becoming a citizen, uh, most of these are minor and they won't then you're not going to have a problem. They just want to make sure you're being honest with Right. Them. I've got a client now who's, she's removing conditions and we disclosed that she stole a candy bar and was arrested for it back when she was a teenager um, in her home country. And, and we disclosed it with all of the documentation on her green card application. She was approved, no problem. Now she's removing conditions. I expect the same thing will happen. We'll disclose all the same information again. Full disclosure, yes, I stole a candy bar when I was 16. Well, and, and the same thing will go for when she applies for citizenship. We yep. will disclose again that she stole a candy bar when she was 16. doesn't matter how small or large it is. You're, you're or best. if you've disclosed it before. Right, or if you've disclosed it before. It, People think, oh, I did it on my green card Right, I told them so about that already. Now. No, you do. You They're have verifying. to keep telling them. Keep telling the truth. And make sure that you're consistent. No matter how small or large, it's important. Yeah, and that and I, that happens a lot. People people want to leave their past behind, right? They don't want to talk about certain things. Maybe it's difficult for them to talk about or admit that they aren't perfect and maybe made a mistake. And you have these people that are listening and, and know your history. You know, you're airing your dirty laundry. Um, but this this exercise is to verify that you're admissible to the United States if you're getting a green card or here that you are qualified to become a U.S. citizen. And there's nothing in your history that prevents you from doing that. Right. So if you have any doubts, just ask your immigration lawyer. They'll tell you whether or not you need to say yes or no. But make sure you let them know that you do have these things in your past so that so that we can verify what, what answers you should be giving on that form. And that's, I would say, the number one reason you hire an immigration attorney if you're naturalizing is if you have a criminal history, you better check with the, an attorney first to make sure what's in your past isn't going to prohibit you from becoming a citizen and how you should answer, like Christine said, answer those questions um, to make sure you're doing it 
truthfully. And, and those and aren't the only questions you have to be worried about. I mean, there's questions about military service. There's questions about weapons training. There's questions about, um, you know, obviously Nazi your past criminal history. Yeah, affiliation Communist with certain party. organizations. Extensive travel during your period of time while you've been a, um, a permanent residence. These are all good reasons to consult with an immigration attorney if you have questions about whether or not you qualify for naturalization or if you're going to have issues. And if you in in general, you can apply based uh, for citizenship based on having a green card for five years or three years. There's a three year exception if you if it's through marriage. So if you're filing through marriage, there's something else you need to keep in mind that they are going to verify that you are still married at the time of your naturalization application. And they're going to verify um, that it's still an active marriage and they're going to want evidence of that, that you need to prove it at that interview. Again, even though you've already proved it at your green card interview, you've proved it in your application to remove conditions, you need to again show that you qualify to naturalize after three years because your marriage is still intact. And I just had one of these where it was a removal of conditions, which is an application um, to get a 10-year green card after you've had a temporary green card because you, your marriage was less than two years old. And during that time period, those removal conditions applications take so long that you can often apply for citizenship in the interim. And you just had one like this too, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the client assumed that since she had just removed conditions that the officer would have all the evidence on her marriage and she didn't bring the evidence that I told her she needed to to prove her marriage at the time of the interview. So although she passed everything at the interview, the officer then issued a request for additional information where she had to go back and show Here's my current lease agreement. Here's my current tax returns. Here's my current proof of my marriage. Right. And so that's the way they this will goes. You to do that. Yeah, this that's the way it goes with these interviews too. So if you do mess up, if you do forget to bring something with you that they want to see, a lot of times you'll get another opportunity. The officer's not going to deny you right then and there. They'll either um, issue another interview notice and have you come back in and bring those things with you. They'll conduct the interview, complete it, and then issue a request for evidence. Or if it's a real serious issue, a notice of intent to deny. But that gives you an opportunity to respond with documentation to refute whatever concern that they have with with your application. So you do get another opportunity, um, which is good. But that opportunity is a one last chance deal. So you've got to submit everything they're asking for make sure it's done properly. You can't you can't do it in one step or two steps. It has to be done at the same time. One step, file everything with them. Yeah, and and that is one good thing about this process is uh, it's administrative. So if they need more information, they'll ask you for it, and you can provide it. And they do give you that 30-day window to go back and to retake the examination if, for some reason, you didn't pass it the first time. Thank you for joining us today. If you haven't already, please subscribe where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Give us a thumbs up and a five-star rating. And most importantly, tune in next time to the Arrive podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians.